Hello? Hey, can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can hear you, Bill. What's going on? (laughs) Good, good. Uh, Just busy uh, (laughs) holiday stuff, really. Getting close to... Getting close to releasing something. (laughs) Um, How's work going on uh, uh, with the the new game? Oh, well, uh, I mean, we've released... uh, this way madness lies uh, a few weeks ago it feels like yesterday but it came out in november yeah and so now we're uh, you know just kind of <laughs> doing the bug fixing answering questions you know in steam forums and communities and doing you know stuff like this and uh also trying to take a break where we can since you know that last push before launching something is always kind of crazy uh, you got to get rest where where you can, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Are there any plans for like future updates for the game? Yeah, we still want to do a new game plus, which would probably be the main thing. Yeah, because there's like a lot of trades that I've still not accessed yet. Yeah, beat the game. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's obviously like little branching paths. I mean, <laughs> it's not like obviously the game is not like this massively built around like major decisions that totally transform the story but it's still fun to see like the other little little branching story side stuff and we you know we always a lot of people really like it when there's a new game plus in games where you can kind of try other things so hopefully we can do that and uh in the meantime you know while we're fixing stuff and maybe trying to get it on trying to get it on other platforms yeah, we're we're talking with Bill from Zeboid Games. Sorry for the uh, delay there, Bill. I had a lot of technical difficulties uh, getting things set up and and whatnot. But um, one of the things that that I wanted to ask you: um, a lot of your games um, show a lot of homage to old school RPGs, and that's what what RP Grinders is all about. It's like the old school, you know. Um, just old school RPGs. Can you talk a little bit about you guys's like love for the genre and why why you choose to kind of stick in this uh, this arena? Well, um, it started really back when uh, there wasn't quite as big of you know of an indie scene on you know Steam and consoles and stuff like that for us when we first got into it. Um, we actually had just played a game for the Nintendo DS, both Robert and I had sort of separately, and it was called uh, Retro Game Challenge. Mm-hmm. I don't know if y'all are familiar with it. Yeah. It's like a pack of, of mini games where you follow like this um, these kids through like an 80s and 90s life of playing video games through 8 and 16-bit and stuff, and it's really cool. And there's all these different games that take or that are like an homage to certain genres. And obviously, one of the little one of the mini game. And when I say mini game, it's like pretty full fledged. It's a an RPG, like an actual retro RPG within the game. And we had both played it, and it was a lot of fun. It was only like an hour or two long within mm-hmm. the game, mm-hmm. and was fairly straightforward in terms of like graphics and production value, controls and stuff. But it was actually a lot of fun. And so around that time, you know, we. Uh, both wanted to um, like make games f- for fun, but also like with Xbox Live Indie Games, which is the platform on the Xbox that was sort of new at the time. We decided we could work together and like make an RPG in the vein of older retro RPGs, but in kind of that sort of um, streamlined, smaller scope game that we saw in Retro Game Challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. a lot of our inspirations come from all over the place, but that's kind of what got us started in all this. Right, right, and and I did, you know, there's, there, I love Cosmic Star Heroine. Um, I think it's a great game. Uh, I mean, all your games are really, really good and and well thought out and planned. But I I kind of wanted to talk about um, some of the influences uh, in the games, mm-hmm. and and obviously there's a big. Um, Lovecraftian. I don't know who the the Lovecraft fan is with with you guys, or maybe both. <laughs> but but obviously, you know that's a big part of what you guys do. <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah. The Lovecraft thing is kind of it's it, it's Lovecraft, and it's it's not just that. It's like horror games. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Robert Robert's really big into horror game stuff, which um, is a little bit. 
it's gotten a little bit tougher like a horror game fan in the recent years uh back in the like um 16 bit 32 bit era and and a little bit you know well into the ps2 and even the wii horror games were either because of technical limitations or whatever horror games were not necessarily all that gory Mm -hmm. and there weren't like a lot of profanity and blah 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 blah. and you know roberts isn't really you know all too into that and also obviously it makes makes it hard to play those kind of games if you have kids around but um right Right. that's what a lot of the horror a lot of the horror game influences like resident evil and stuff that we've we're both real fans of i still play um i mean i've i've really enjoyed a lot of the recent horror games like resident evil 2 remake which is amazing i mean it's a remake but it's it's really quite good and even stuff like um it's not it's not really a horror game might make the argument but the plague tale series right is also uh just kind of telling rat phobia you should play it (laughs) yeah yeah i know right but like telling these sort of unique stories but they have like a horror element and um, there's also we've also really enjoy sci-fi stuff. So the whole Lovecraftian thing is a little bit sci-fi and a little bit horror, and that's something that we both have really liked. Yeah. It would be really cool to do, um, and we've talked about this more of a, a horror, almost like a horror RPG. That's the focus. Um, something like a game that always comes up in the discussion is Sweet Home, mm. which I don't know was that ever released in the West? I, no. I, th- I don't think I it was. Think so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like a horror-focused RPG. I've always talked about that. Like, there's there's never, never, because I'm a big horror fan as well. I love horror movies and horror games and, and stuff like that. And I've, and but obviously I'm a huge RPG guy, and I've never seen a traditional <clears throat> turn-based RPG that is like in the horror vein, right? There's always some elements, but there's never been a straight horror traditional jrpg or rpg that um that has tickled my fancy the closest i ever got was yeah go ahead i'm sorry you go first oh no i was just gonna say the closest i ever got was um um (laughs) uh the the shin megami tensei series um, of games and and you know even with those like you said like you don't see a lot of the gore a lot of the the horror elements that you're used to in a lot of like games like resident evil and stuff like that right and uh, that's that can be a good thing too like it doesn't all need to be like gory and stuff it's just funny that i guess it's funny but it's like um that that's as close as you get a lot of times to like a horror game, yeah. horror RPG. Yeah, those are games are really good those, though. <laughs> uh, suggest uh, Omori and uh, yeah, Id uh-huh. and uh, off is like games that are kind of fit that vein. Yeah, I yeah. I, um, yeah. Oh, sorry. So go ahead. Really, I was just some gonna, really obscure indie stuff. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, like, when you when you get together with Robert. And you decide that, like, like what is the... Because this is always endlessly, endlessly fascinating to me, is kind of the creative process, right? It, do do either of you just go to each other and say, hey, what do you think about this? And then you guys just go from there? Or how, how do these things start? <clears throat> well, it's actually really is kind of like that. Because, you know, one of us will have just an idea and say, hey, what if we did da-da-da? And it's always... Um, like we'll try to we usually like try to come up with something somewhat unique you know or uh something that might that sort of sounds appealing that hasn't really been saturated in the market or whatever but usually it's just sort of a broad idea that we'll bring up to the other person and then we kind of bat the idea around back and forth and we usually do this while we're working on other games and (laughs) it's sort of like uh when you're making a game and it takes a year or two years or three years or whatever mm-hmm. you you can't help but think about oh you know this one we're doing we've been working on and focused in on is so good but oh what if our next one was like this or here's an idea for another one during that you know one or two or three year time span you'll have all these different like kind of ideas and you'll sort of talk about them here and there just because it's kind of a, a mental relief you know to like think about the next thing or some new ideas but it also helps us come up with the next project and that's usually how we end up coming up with like a batch of ideas before we finalize them and then when it comes time to actually start then we'll kind of fixate on one of those ideas or, or a combination of them do you do you do you start with the writing first like get a general 
general idea of what you want, you, you know, and, and then and then decide, okay, that's what we're going with, and then you start working on the game elements, or what what really comes first when you when you uh, come up with the ideas for your your games. Well, the the first thing that comes up is the general concept. So, like, it would be you know a science fiction RPG with spy elements, you know, or uh, actually, you know, Cosmic Star Hero. When it started out, the idea was to have a pop star singer that leads a double life as a secret agent superhero or whatever. <laughs> right. And you would um, have to, you could be able to transform back and forth between like a magical girl pop star and like a superhero esque spy spy heroine or whatever uh right. so that that idea we sort of spun off the magical um the magical girls pop star stuff into what became this way madeline's lies but uh it usually starts with a broad concept like hey there's not a lot of science where, fiction where the idea come into but shakespeare in the game oh uh gosh you know that the, the shakespeare idea um so we had kind of this we've kind of wanted to do this sort of magical girl-esque or uh you know kind of really lighthearted rpg for a while and then the idea it's always we're always trying to come up with interesting ways to put like a weird spin on it to make it stand out and i think it was actually robert's wife shannon probably was just joking about shakespeare uh and he was like well, what if we actually did that? And then um, when he brought it up to me, I was like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Shakespeare is something people know about, but not everybody knows a lot about. So it's, and then there's so many stories, it's like really ripe for different worlds and characters and ideas, even if we're not making like a literary masterpiece, obviously. It's just, it's it's kind of a better known concept that, a lot of people aren't super familiar with so i don't know it seemed like a funny fun thing to integrate with the whole magical girl thing it, it had to be really nuanced uh, in order for you guys to be able to fit that within the confines of of an rpg especially so a, a niche um a genre for sure i i think it's you know i i know that there are uh, RPG elements in almost every video game nowadays, but but the straight RPGs, yeah. there's not a lot of, especially like the old school ones. There's not, I mean, people just now are coming out with a lot of like you know really cool retro ideas. But you guys were kind of at the forefront of of a lot of these ideas. Like I'm looking at, um, I forgot about Breath of Death, um, and that's <laughs> that's obviously a um, an homage to like the old school, like Dragon Quest and and Final Fantasy type type stuff uh, from back in the day. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like like your like you know just just your influences in general, like with the, with the RPG, um, you know, games of of yesteryear and and you know some of those influences. Well. Um yeah, you're right about uh, Breath of Death 7. It was mainly a Dragon Quest-inspired game. And it was like, during a t it was during a time, you know, during the, X the sort of the heyday of the Xbox 360, PS3, and Wii, where a lot of games were, a lot of RPGs were moving towards these bigger budget things. And like, mm -hmm. the whole Final Fantasy 13 series was like the big showstopper and, and stuff like that. So, uh, not only did we want to like try something that would be manageable for like our first two-person team game, but like I said earlier, it's uh, um, it's also inspired by the uh, retro game challenge mini RPG, which was called Gaudia Quest. I couldn't remember. It's, it's Gaudia Quest was the name of it, and you know the whole idea was that these kinds of RPGs, uh, especially during that era, people were kind of starting to say, "Oh, you know, there's really." random encounter slow uh turn strictly turn paced rpgs without like a thousand layers of mechanics those are all uh you know archaic and old and nobody cares about those anymore nobody plays them anymore but i mean <laughs> that's not the it's clearly not the case like <laughs> right. i mean there's there's even modern games that sort of still follow that formula even though they're bigger budget and 3d and stuff so we just wanted to make one that we thought would be fun that followed those mechanics without being too complex and 
could be scoped enough to for two people to make on for their first project and not super duper long like um yeah again like it follows Gaudia Quest, and it was a $1 game on Xbox Live Indie Games, so it was only a two-hour long thing, but yeah, we really wanted it to be fun and silly and be repre- uh, kind of follow the Dragon Quest mold as well. Yeah, that's uh, Dragon Quest Eight is still my, my favorite game of all time. I, I catch a lot of crap for that mm-hmm. a lot, but um, yeah. um, you know, um, to each his own, right? But let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, you... Uh, you mentioned Dragon Quest uh, and and stuff like that. Like that, I think a lot of times with uh, the newer RPGs, um, whether it be action or you know, heaven forbid, somebody make a brand new IP uh, turn based RPG. But um, right. the simplicity of uh, some of the previous games, you know, e- even though that they were simple, they did have complex like battle systems and I, I noticed that about about your game, like they're they're your games in general, like they're they're easy to to play and and maybe a little harder to master and that's the beauty of a lot of our uh RPGs and JRPGs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> like and I mean we're uh you know, we, that, that's obviously the uh, the goal for a lot of developers is to make something that's pretty uh, easy to grasp, but then has like it eases you into the depth and has has plenty of depth of depth to be rewarding and, and challenging. And uh, a lot of it is, I th- I think a lot of it for us works because with um, with Robert, he knows a whole whole lot about RPG battle systems and mechanics. Like mm-hmm. that's his number one thing like if uh if if he was here you'd ask like what is your main thing is it the writing or the story he'd be like no it's it's the battles (laughs) if if he could make an rpg that was pure battles and nothing else he'd probably be super happy but you know um i think with that his like heavy focus on that and whereas i'm a little like a little uh more um my interest is a little more spread out over story and characters as well as the mechanics. We kind of find a happy middle ground where if, if I can like approach it and find it like immediately intuitive, but it satisfies his need for there to be a lot of depth, then I think it is, that's kind of how we come out with our end result for our games. Right. Right. Well, uh, let's let's jump ahead a little bit here. Let's talk about this way. Madness lies. What what can you tell us about uh, uh, the madness? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, the whole thing is kind of is kind of madness to begin with. Like it's a uh, it's an R- it's an RP- turn based RPG that follows the story of this group of of you know high school girls who have magical girl powers where they can transform and you know fight evil with ice magic and fire magic and so on and what they discover is that there are these shadows these monsters infiltrating from alternate dimensions that are you know haunting the place and they're able to um figure out how to open portal to these alternate dimensions to find the source of the monsters and it turns out the monsters are uh, invading from alternate realities based on Shakespearean plays. <laughs> and of course, the characters themselves are like huge fans of play. They're plays, and they're part of the drama club at their school. And so, a lot of the story takes place about them planning their next, you know, play that they put on, and but in between, you know trying to figure out what's going on with these um invading monsters and and the source of the of the evil so um (laughs) there's a whole if the game is in two if there's two halves of the game one half is sort of a slice of life are um that follows the the characters in the real world going to school hanging out on the weekends planning their productions and the other half is entering these alternate dimensions based on Shakespearean plays and meeting Shakespeare's characters and uh, going through the storyline of certain plays as well as kind of remixes of the plays to discover what's going on. So there's, um, it's crazy. It sounds crazy, which is why it's like a really interesting concept to us and hopefully other people. But um, you kind of... you you get to you get to learn a, like a reasonable amount about Shakespeare stuff while you're doing it. 
Is the title based on a line from one of the Shakespeare plays? Yeah, it is, but it's tweaked a little bit. Mm. Uh, it's We called it This Way Madness Lies because we think it flows better. Mm. But um, the actual quote was something like, uh, you know, for that way madness lies, I think. I don't remember which, or, or maybe that's... Um, Maybe that's an older quote, but I believe it was something along those lines. Uh, you know, basically, that yeah, yeah, I think it was King Lear, but uh, yeah, yeah. We just wanted to tweak it a little bit because we're it's not that you know we're not being that strict about the whole Shakespeare. No, thing. you basically you basically turned a Shakespeare line into English that everybody can understand. Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's the problem people have a lot of times with Shakespeare is the the trend. You know, it's 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 hard to. <laughs> The game itself has a translate feature. Yeah, <laughs> right. And, and it's quite humorous because because the because the joke seems to be well, if we translate directly into English, it's going to sound like a direct translation and sound flat, and that's the joke. Hey, yeah, like I can't even remember um, if that was Robert's idea or another one from his fam- one of his family members. But yeah, like I mean, it's silly, right? Like it, you'll have a few lines that are straight out of Shakespeare in the game. And, you know, the game allows you to flip between our Z-Boyd translation into normal <laughs> English and back. And it doesn't change the mechanics, but, you know, the feedback, it's always been really positive feedback we've gotten from people about it because it's just, it's silly, but, it, you know, it helps to make sense out of some of the stuff that's going on. But it's also, like, an, sort of an easy way to, like, work in some silly jokes and stuff. I, I almost want to see, like, an album. Big brained outbid translation for the failed uh, Kickstarter of the uh, sequel to Barkley Start Up a Gym, where oh gosh, <laughs> where the entire game's in old English. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I don't know. It just it worked better than I thought. Just the silly little thing where you could flip between the Shakespearean text and like silly you know translations which by the way like apparently robert got his daughter who's like a teenager to help with some of them so to you know the of the english version of the dialogue and and some of the characters just to make it more you know authentic to a high schooler so i think that helped the silliness factor yeah well there's also kind of an anime feel to to uh this way madness lies um you guys are obviously anime fans probably more old school anime than than the newer stuff i'm assuming uh, just like myself i'm a little bit older and i know eric's a big anime fan and 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 stuff but um can you talk a little bit about that uh, about the influence of anime in in your work yeah so obviously with this way madness lies it's like a magical girl game so we originally uh wanted to lean in to the anime stuff even more heavily i think originally it was we were going to have more like um more heavily animated sequences and stuff but once the story was done with all the like branching paths and and so forth that obviously became a little outside of the scope we definitely wanted to keep the magical girl transformations in though so that's obviously one of the bigger animated things in the game uh but yeah, like it was, we've been wanting to do something kind of anime focused, but sort of lighthearted for a while. Like I said, like the original concept for Cosmic Star Heron was going to involve, you know, kind of this really anime esque, goofy sci fi concept that in- integrates Magical Girl stuff. But um, by the, we really didn't get a chance to really do that until now. It's a lot of, um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot more inspired by that, by the, um, sort of the sailor moon like 90s era than right. than the newer newer stuff right right well let's talk about like a big part of the process obviously is finances right um you guys have done some like kickstarter type uh type w- work and and from my recollection you were you guys were some of the first to kind of really uh utilize kickstarter in that manner can you talk about crowdfunding and how important yeah. it is to, uh, especially developers like yourself, to, to help out. Yeah, so actually, um, I like to think of Kickstarter as like three eras. There was the, the pre-Double Fine era, and then there was the Double Fine era, and the post-Double Fine era. <laughs> so the pre-Double Fine era is before very many people even had heard of Kickstarter, 
And so funding goals were very small. And it was a lot of really small projects. And a lot of the Kickstarter projects were really, um, th- there's nothing fancy about them. They were straightforward and simple. And the project pitch was very simple. We pitched our a PC version of Cthulhu Saves the World for PC, for Steam, with added content like a new story mode as our first Kickstarter project. And that um, was before, I don't remember the exact date, but that was it was well before the big Kickstarter for uh, Double Fine Adventure came out. It was only, we only asked for a few thousand dollars, and it was really just to um, make sure that uh, we could cover certain costs and things, and like simple little upgrades and stuff, and certain software and things like that we needed, and um, kind of bridge the gap between Xbox Live Indie Games and PC. And, I mean, also just to make sure that there was enough of a, a market for it. But obviously, when when we got it on Steam, and I mean, like in a blue, it kind of blew up on Steam, like in a good way. So that was <laughs> that was a huge deal for us. Um, but then things changed a lot when uh, Double Fine did their Double Fine Adventure Kickstarter and it raised what was it like a couple million dollars? Yeah, it was. And big. that was way more, right? Yeah, that was yeah. way more than I mean, that, that put it on a mainstream and as far as Kickstarter video game stuff. And um, there was two. It was it, it was a double-edged blade at that point. You could pitch a project, and you had to really polish your page for it and, and make a decently produced video for it. And the double-edged blade was that you you were almost encouraged by how eager everyone was to support projects, to promise a huge thing, promise what everyone wanted, like. Pro- promise the moon every, all your dreams come true if you back this project right and then set like a medium goal and hope to break it obviously the problem with that is if you get a thousand or two thousand or three thousand backers and you and you're, you raise you know let's say a hundred thousand dollars i mean if you ended up promising the world to achieve that kickstarter goal suddenly <laughs> you have this massively overscoped project that you're going to have to finish and you end up finding out after fees and Kickstarter, uh, you know, their cut and taxes and stuff that your your goal that you funded was not actually nearly as much as you thought, especially for this overbloated goal um, that you set. Our our deal, we kind of saw this happening a little bit when we kickstarted Cosmic Star Heroine, like with other projects, and we tried real hard to like manage the scope of it, and so we didn't promise any stretch goals for that reason, which. In hindsight, wow, I'm so glad we didn't. Um, stretch goals can be super useful at getting people to keep staying excited and funding it after the initial goal was met. But, I mean, it was a hard choice. As soon as our goal was met on Kickstarter, funding kind of, like, stopped. It's like people said, hey, they reached their goal. They're going to make the game. I don't need to back it. And that's fine. But it's like if we had done stretch goals, we probably would have brought more people in and then the scope of the gaming would have blown up and it would have taken 10 years to release yeah but um we're very fortunate that like it even though it took way longer than we thought like a lot of projects um the kickstarter kind of helped us stay like keep our eyes on our initial vision of the game we couldn't you know we weren't going to drastically change things since we had made this you know big public promise to these backers and honestly, I didn't want to. I wanted to stick to our vision, and it turned out, you know, pretty much exactly how we were hoping. And I mean, that was great. The, the caveat is, I mean, we raised something like a hundred and a little over a hundred thousand. I think one hundred and thirty thousand for it, and the game took three and a half years to make. I mean, that's not with, you know, that's not going to pay two people full time to make the game. No, no. So um, we. You know, we knew that at the time, but we had planned our budget. We budgeted our goal for uh, including our income we were still receiving from Steam from our previous games, including the two Penny Arcade games, as well as, uh, you know, um, Cthulhu Saves World and Breath of Death on Steam. So um, it turned out really well. It just was cutting it close towards the end when you, you know, your games are getting older, your back catalog that's you know still generating money and your kickstarter goal was only you know so much after the fees and everything right so right. it's that's that's the double-edged blade of of 
of that time of that era. You you want to promise everything to raise your funding, but then it, you end up with a project that's just not manageable. And I, I'm just I'm just glad that we had really cool Kickstarter backers and things went relatively smoothly, even though it took a long long time. Right, right. I mean, it's always got to be nerve wracking at the end of the process, right? You never know how people are gonna gonna receive any game let alone you know something that you did yeah. and, and, i mean it, it's yeah, about especially yeah right go, go ahead people have been waiting for, well some people wait for these kickstarter projects for two three four five six seven years some of them you know seven years or whatever at that point you know how can you live up to to yeah. that expectation especially if you pitch something and the backer in their mind has this totally different or maybe even like a nostalgia fueled vision of what it should be and it's you end up with a really good game right but it's it doesn't reach this level they had in their mind um but yeah like, again i think like the there's part, a game i i backed uh, called seal assault and yeah. it ended up looking drastically different by the time it released i still ended up enjoying it and still got its issues and it's mm-hmm. for a very specific type of player and and but like even even beyond that, like skill barrier, I managed to overcome it and enjoy it still. But yeah, yeah, I think good. most people were dissatisfied with it. Yeah, that, and that's rough. I mean, once you've made this big promise and already taken people's money, like you gotta stick to it. But some developers just can't. They gotta change it for whatever reason, you know, or do the worst thing, which is just cancel the project. But then you have people that, you know. I mean, justifiably, they're upset about it totally changing direction compared to when they backed the project. So it's it's just it's just really risky, honestly. Like you you, you think you back the you create a Kickstarter project and you get all this upfront funding essentially like right away without having done anything yet. Oh yeah, that's like free money, right? That's a how could, how could that be bad? Well, I mean, it can blow up in a lot of ways. I mean, there's plenty of examples if you go out and look. All that said, I mean, there's a ton. There's also a ton of really successful Kickstarter projects that turned out really well. Um, obviously, Hollow Knight is the one that everyone uses as an example of, but there's tons of others, and um, I, I think that it's like a net positive for like small studios. It just you really got to be careful about watching your scope and making sure what you're promising is something you can do. It, that's a good point. I mean, you guys have always delivered. I mean, you, you, I think you guys have a vision right at the beginning of what something's going to be, and you've always delivered like every single time. And 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 as far as like small teams of developers go, you guys have you know consistently put out games that that people enjoy, and that's that's what it's all about, right? Is is if you're having a fun time. I mean, video games have always mm-hmm. been been um a luxurious um kind of um you know fun thing for everybody involved you know i mean there has to be a level of fun in developing the games and then there has to be a level Mm -hmm. of fun in people actually playing the games and it's a good um you know it's a good way of gauging interest and stuff like that with kickstarter but you gotta you, you definitely have to know um you know what you're doing when you get into it because like you said it can become uh pretty overwhelming and and the scope can just yeah. get get out of control and one thing and, i wanted to know was uh whether or not to and to what extent if so uh covid had an impact on your development oh yeah definitely um on this game so it's like covid happened when we were working on this way madness lies and it sucks because it changed a bunch of things and you know you know we had to adapt so like for me personally there was like my daughter was in grade school and i basically had to like spend a lot of my time that i would otherwise be 100% focused on game development i had to spend a lot of that time kind of teaching her first grade or second grade or whatever and um you know that even if even if I made up that those hours later in the night or whatever, it's like interrupting your focus all the time and tr- scrambling to teach you know your kid uh, grade school stuff. Just suddenly is it's stressful and you know you you do it because you want to make sure your kid is 
learning everything they can, obviously, and going to do well and be educated. But it's a uh, adds a lot to your plate. Another side effect that was kind of a um, like takes this hit on your motivation a bit is how there's no more expos. Like people think of expos as a big marketing blitz for AAA companies, and that's true. But for smaller developers, at least I know for me and a lot of the people I know, it's a it's a good opportunity for us to all like get together in one place and see each other's stuff. And I don't know, it's always been a big motiva- motivator for me and to some extent Robert. And especially those those expos we were able to show our game. Like if you're working on something for a year or a year and a half or whatever getting it out in front of actual people that are not your friends or family to try it and getting positive feedback that's a big motivation and because you know you can finally you feel like you're on the right track and you want to get back to it and just like you know keep hitting that game because we know we're on the right track people like it we showed it and other developers are like really cool had really cool ideas about it da, 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 da. you know we didn't have that I, I don't think I've been to an expo since before the pandemic as a matter of fact wow. so I feel like those are two big ways that like kind of got out in the way of things. At least I know for me personally. Yeah, yeah. COVID was uh, something else with almost every industry, man. It it caused uh, wow. Um, it's a time in history that I don't think anybody will forget, especially here in the states. Like it's uh, yeah, it's been pretty crazy. But uh, I think I think right about now is the time that everything's sort of getting back to some some sort of normalcy. But I wanted to to touch on something you said earlier about length of games. Um, do you like like do you speaking of the like like jrpg kind of influence did you guys look at a lot of those games that were you know 20 30 40 50 100 hours and say i mean we'd love to do that but but our games are more fo- focused on a, a smaller you know time frame of a play time um and and then in conjunction with that is that why you price your games like like so low because a lot of your games like 10 bucks i mean like that's mm-hmm. that's super cheap it's almost like like a um a, a permanent sale for a video game nowadays right. you know yeah uh so there's if we had like infinite budget and time <laughs> and resources we would definitely make like a grand scale like shin megami tensei style of game or whatever um like in a dream world that we don't have to worry about you know how many copies it sells or whatever and just do all kinds of crazy things but we do try to take inspiration from rpgs that we enjoy a big one i think that it that influenced like cosmic star heroine and a bunch of our games since was for example bravely default which Mm -hmm. it 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 had a really cool and interesting way to subvert the way you know turn order and how how abilities you know effectiveness plays out and that was a big reason or that was a big inspiration for how we came up with the kind of hyper system for cosmic star heroin and mm. the defend well defend and hyper system we wanted to make the defend useful kind of like how bravely default has you know it's it's ways to power up your abilities and we also wanted to give give players a way to like sort of plan ahead a few turns and then reward them for doing so while making the defend a useful like an actual part of battle not just like a throwaway ability and stuff like that and so um i think like you know we'll play games like bravely default and and just think oh man this is so cool like how can we take this cons this general concept of planning ahead and making defense useful and Im- implement it in an, in an interesting way of our own um and then you know so i mean that, i think that's probably the easiest example mm. as far as the money thing the, like the price thing like mm. we started out making games for xbox live indie games where it was like if you price your game for more than a dollar it's not going to sell and since it was our first game, we didn't really have very big expectations. But um, coming from there, it's like we would set a price and we'd really sweat it. Like, oh, man, you know, on Steam, <laughs> we're 
I don't know if we should release this Cthulhu Saves the World for three dollars. I mean, I know we added like a whole new campaign to it, but <laughs> you're gosh, talk- it's like kind of risky. It is. A, yeah, it, I need it, to go back and finish that. Campaign. It's got to be like yeah. like really in thinking about it. Like we're on the outside looking in, right? We're the gamers playing the game, so it's. It, for us, it's it's wow, that's super cheap. I'll, I'll check it out, type thing, you know. But you're right. Yeah. Like sometimes I'll be looking at games, like even the indie games, and I'm like, God, I don't know if if I want to pay four ninety nine for that. You know, I'll wait for for it to go on sale for two ninety nine or something. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. Well, that's fine, and that's totally fine mm. because I mean, there's always sales around every corner. It feels like these days, and we just like. For us, it's, our our thing with pricing is never like, you know, we we we, we used to get advice during the, our early days of, of releasing our games, which was, oh, look look at what other games have, or um, like look what other games their prices are. Like, oh, this game is ninety hours long when it's sixty dollars. Well, you know, so yours should be like fifty dollars or whatever, you know, and that's a good deal. But to us, we kind of came at it from. A similar perspective as as you just said, uh, the perspective of like what would be a good deal to us, what would make us see a game and think, and you know, kind of expect one price, and then see a price that made us want to get it like sooner rather than later. Yeah. So if we made a game at um, like Cosmic Star Heroin, which was fifteen, around that time, everyone said like, oh, that seems like a game that you know would be justified at twenty dollars that seems like a twenty dollar game and so we're like okay if everyone looks at this and thinks twenty dollars well if we price it at fifteen that should make a lot of people that are sitting on the fence jump in mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. of course we ask ourselves like is it enough for what we're asking like are we undercutting ourselves are is you know is there a big enough or market for people to pay fifteen for this et cetera et cetera but really the bottom line is can we price this in a way that looks like a good deal for people that are not just bargain hunting? Because especially now, there's there's tons of more indie games and there's tons of more sales and bundles and things going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, pricing is always... I think that, for me, would be the most nerve-wracking thing of anything yeah, because yeah. without money, you guys can't continue to make more games. So you have to yeah. really, really be self-conscious about that and, and you know, know the proper pr- price point. But, you know, from what I've seen, I mean, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm in the camp that I think it's underpricing, but I, I mean, you know, the more people that buy it, obviously, I mean, bulk is better, right? So the, you know, but I mean, if it's enough to keep you guys going and and happy, like why would you, like I I I'm pretty disappointed in Microsoft's uh, decision to, you know, make the the permanent price point of their game like seventy bucks, like for you know the bigger titles, and it's for good reason. Like the, the you know like people are struggling, people are you know having a hard time with money as it is. So you're 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 already jacking up the price on a luxury item. I mean, people are going to start more and more going to the indies and you know the smaller developers or, or you know they're doing it to get more people to go to game pass because if they suddenly right. see a game 70 dollars they're not going to want to pay for it but they might pay for game pass instead right you know? yeah yeah we'll talk about that i mean is there i mean do you do you think that the old model is pretty much uh used up like with with singular pricing on games, like especially the AAA titles, and and do you think like like you know people more and more are going to go to these subscription services, and what does that mean for for some uh, you know some of the the smaller uh, developers like yourselves and and others out there? Oh well, you know it's still a little hard to say where all these um, you know subscription game services will be down the line there's it, it almost feels like you know the people that subscribe to them seem to like be really into them but i still feel it's it's still hard to say that like that it's totally demolished the normal you know buy once get a game model uh and also like you said there's 70 dollars now so that will probably impact it going forward for small studios like us, though, I think our prices are low enough that many, 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 many people are more than happy enough to buy the game at the asking price and keep it, you know, in their library or whatever. But that said, I think most 
developers, small studios and indies, would be more than happy to like be included in something like Game Pass or whatever, if it means being like, essentially offered a sum of money that more than justifies whatever they might have sold otherwise. Like, we released... Um, We've done similar deals. I know we did one on Stadia the most recently, and obviously Stadia's gone. But they <laughs> offered us a, a sum that we couldn't, you know, it was like an offer we couldn't refute. Right, you know what I mean? Right. It was like, here's a sum of money to, to bring your game to Stadia, where Stadia Pro subscribers will get it for free. But the sum was so large that it's like, when I say large, I mean large for us, large for right. the games we're putting on there. It was like, it made it would make no sense not to do it. Right and right. so if if that's the kind of thing that st- things like Game Pass or even you know I don't know how often Epic still does it for their game store what you used to see indies sometimes go there for one year before Steam and it's probably because they were being offered a, a sum that it just it didn't just justify the the deal mm-hmm. it was like way over justified the deal and it can make a big difference for a small studio. Do you do you get approached with deals like that um, very often, or or even at all? Like you know, you mentioned the one deal for Stadia. Do you do you get like people like Microsoft or Sony coming to you guys and saying, "Hey, we'll offer you this if we we can include you in in a service." Well, um, you know, I can't speak for every developer or publisher, but for for us in the past, it's been more of a like less one-sided it's not like we went to straight to them or they came straight to us it's more like we would have become aware that they're doing it doing it doing stuff like that either from other developers you know mm-hmm. or through the grapevine and then we would get in touch and either you know they would say oh you know we do this thing do you, are you interested or it would be like hey we heard about that you guys do this such and such program how do we apply essentially so it's usually not so one-sided. It's usually um, we find out about it or, or you know them, and they hear about us through whatever reason, and we get together and then find out if it's even a possibility, and then if it is, you know, what are the details? And then it's all about signing the NDAs and doing the contracts and stuff. Sure. As long sure. as the and the, you know, as long as uh, there's this mutually agreed upon uh, setup for the deal, like as far as what's being brought where for how much and for how long and then what's what's the compensation and stuff so i can imagine big publishers with really huge triple a games that are like system sellers probably platforms come to them and say hey what can we do to get that on here for this you know they probably get approached directly they probably have like a constant you know dialogue with those people but for small studios like us in our experience it's it's a little bit more organic. Gotcha. Gotcha. Eric, did you have anything you wanted to ask? Um, I was wondering whether or not you'd flirted with the idea of voice acting your games. Cause I know that in, in this man, this way of man lies, um, there's, um, some battle clip stuff going on. Yeah. Um, I should mention on that point, um, our music, which was done by Joshua queen and Sarah Ann queen, um, which is really, really good, and they did an amazing job. Like, Joshua and and Sarah Ann, it was actually their idea to put in the little voice clips. Um, they were super enthusiastic about doing the audio for this, and I was, take, I was, I was taken by surprise. Not, uh, like, not just by the suggestion, but by how well it worked. Like, they didn't have to... We didn't do, like, a full voice acting for every line of the game. They just made these really brief battle clips. Like, you know, when someone one of the characters maybe shouts the element for whatever attack they're using. And I thought, oh, yeah, that'll add some polish. But when you see it in game and you try it out, it's like, hey, this actually really brings it to life. So huge props to Joshua McQueen and Sarah Ann for that. But um, we've thought about doing voice acting for all the lines on our stuff in the past. But it's like every time we look into it, it just blows our budget out of the water. Mm. (laughs) I mean, we would not want to just go the cheapest route possible because then I don't think the results are very good. Um, but then once you get into some of the other studios we've talked to that have like pretty good voice acting that whose budgets are not like astronomical for us, it's kind of like, gosh, you know, like how much does it add? Like for the cost and how much it adds, what 
you know, how much more, like, how much more <laughs> copies are we going to have to sell to justify it? And we always kind of err on the side of making, sort of taking more um, cautious steps when we're talking about increasing our budget or how much time something will take. So, um, that's the, an- the answer is like, we've looked at it, it seems too expensive for how risky we want to be, but now that Joshua, you know, did, and, and Sarah Ann, and I think their daughter did some voices too, for the, this was made on the slides, just for those clips, like, I think that worked out so well, we're going to have to explore different ways to add, add little, take baby steps, you know? <laughs> right, right. Well, if you ever need a voice actor that works really, really cheap, I mean, I, I'm always willing to, to help out. <laughs> so, oh, just right. saying. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a, I, I will say though that like another reason it worked in this with Madness Lies is because all of the the main cast is all female; they're all girls, right? And so, right. Um, having Sarah Ann and and I think their daughter uh, do the lines made it a little bit more, a little simpler, a little more straightforward. Sure, but you know, it was really cool how it turned out. Sure, sure. Um, uh, Eric, anything else? Yeah, I want to know if uh, if there are any possibility of like ports. For like other titles like the Glue the World. Oh yeah, so right now, obviously, we're going to try and get in, you know, the additional features and hopefully New Game Plus into our current game. The next priority is getting that onto other platforms too, since it's mm-hmm. obviously it's only on Steam right now, but there's plenty of places to bring it. So that's definitely the second priority I'm kind of cursing myself for not paying for uh, buying the retail release of uh, uh, Cthulhu's or not Cthulhu um, Cosmic Star or uh, Cthulhu Saves Christmas oh the the physical copies yeah yeah um, I mean <laughs> it was just not at the right time that I could you know afford to pay for right um, when games does like fifty bajillion things. It's like I'll buy this, I and I'll buy this, and I'll. I'll yeah, <laughs> no, I yeah, I totally understand. Like it can get crazy, but um, yeah, I, I kind of i I've always I've always wanted to put like Cthulhu Saves the World and Breath of Death like on newer platforms, right? Mm-hmm. But when I look at those old games that we did, I kind of get queasy about. I just want to fix them. Like I don't mean fix the gameplay and writing mm-hmm. and so forth. I want to like. Update it, bring it up to like our. Yeah, my other suggestion was like a remake of sorts. Yeah, and not even a overhaul, but just something that brings it up to date with our other stuff without messing with the formula. I'm a, I personally, everyone has their own opinion on this, but my opinion of remakes is that if it's a remake of a classic game, I feel like all it really needs to do is update the um, the graphical fidelity and then smooth out some of the. The roughness with like yeah, I just imagine like now uh, saves the world upheaval edition instead of calling it remastered or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that, something crazy. Uh, but I think it would be a really cool idea because people still remember those games. I just wouldn't want to put them as is onto new platforms because I just it's it's almost like I look at them. I'm like I'm proud of them because they did good and they're good <laughs> games. But uh, I want to fix X and it, Y and it, Z. It'd you know? probably be better to like remake it and then it'll add like, like an art gallery section of the old footage and stuff. Yeah, right, right. yeah or even offer like a retro, like an old mo- mode where it's like it's not exactly, but like kind of using some of the old assets, mm-hmm. just as kind of a silly thing. But yeah, I mean hopefully, I mean I would love to do that and so I don't know, maybe I'll try and talk to Robert about doing that at some point after all of this, but we'll see. And then <laughs> another question I had was uh, like Accessibility seems to be a really big thing in games now, and developers in the larger spaces are starting to get to it, but on the indie scene, it's still basically at the same level as the rest of the industry. Yeah. Um, So where would um, you guys go about doing accessibility? Right. Well, um, I know that one of the things we've always done is made our text huge. Yes. And, like, that's also our personal... That's something a lot of developers don't get. I know. Like... Why is this text so tiny? I got a 50 inch TV and I still can't see the text. <laughs> and that's part of coming from Xbox indie games, but we'll try we'll try to keep thinking about it and, and offering more options on that front. We probably need to bring someone on just to review it and see where we can improve. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to improve in what areas, especially since our games are not Twitch action games, you know what I mean? It's like 
what areas would best benefit people. Um, just as, a, as an aside in Cosmic Star Hero, and one of the reasons we've made the time bar, you know, which tells you the order of enemies and, and players, we had them color-coded, for, you know, red for bad guys and mm-hmm. blue for heroes. But then we also made it so that heroes are on the right and enemies are on the left of the time bar so that you, you know, could more easily reference what turns or when um, from a practical standpoint, but also so that it wouldn't, you, you, wouldn't you, you wouldn't have to be able to tell what color it was. You could tell strictly by what side they're on to, to tell. So we, you know, we think about things like that, but I really think having someone on with actual knowledge about it would help, even and if it's then, like consulting. And then my other questions would be, um, like, what, what, games have you been playing recently indie or otherwise oh recently um yeah i've been trying to catch up on like random things mm-hmm. i actually just started playing uh i just finished uh, a plague tale requiem the, you know the mm-hmm. sequel and i thought it was an awesome game i know it's not everyone's thing and it, it can be slow and and it's not super deep but i really like the story the the world and concept and characters uh, and then I also started Bayonetta 3 because I really needed an action game and it's really good so far. I'm only an hour in, so, so we'll see. I've actually been playing Chain Deckos, and Yeah! How and is that? I haven't had a chance to start that yet. I feel like they were somewhat inspired by you because they did they were doing the whole refill HP and TP at the oh, end cool. of a battle thing and their overdrive bar kind of reminds me of the way you have your defend hyper mode set up but it's right. more nuanced because that's very cool because you have to play a balancing act between being in the red and being in the yellow and being in the green if you're in the green it's like you do additional damage and stuff more effective but the more attacks you do, the closer you get to the red. So you have to either defend or switch a character out to deflate oh, okay. a bit. That's very cool. Yeah, I've been playing. Um, hoping to start that soon. It's really beefy because, like, apparently there's three acts of the game. And I'm like 20 hours in, and I only just oh, started wow. Act Two. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, but um, I've also been playing, going back to the well of old games by playing Resident Evil Four before the remake. Oh, sweet! Out, just to compare the two. Yeah. Uh huh. That'll be interesting for sure. <laughs> you know, yeah, and I, just get achievements. I was gonna. Yeah, you're an achievement whore. <laughs> I I was gonna. I'm talk, not achievement whore. I know. Yeah, I'm I know. trying to raise my gamer score because <laughs> I'm neglecting my Xbox for so long. I know, right? <laughs> um, well, let you talked a little bit about graphic fidelity. I saw an amazing video about the game Haunting Ground. We were talking about, um, you know, old school horror games, and that's one that kind of, uh, I think, got a bad rap, but I can't remember who did the video on it, but they did something really, really kind of cool. You talked about, like, like bringing your games to other platforms, but you like to do kind of a, you know, maybe a, a maybe not so much a graphic overhaul, but you know, like something, you know, to, to bring it to other platforms mm-hmm. um and they did something really cool with an emulator uh, on a pc they mm-hmm. they they upgraded the all the graphics to to you know not have like the sharp mm-hmm. ps1 edges and stuff and 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 they did stuff mm-hmm. like that which i thought was really really interesting um but i i could see some of your games like what you're talking about like like maybe not not being what you want on other platforms, like being more updated and modern, uh, the mm-hmm. way that your current game is, you know, the the madness, this way madness lies. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Um, so, I guess my final question that I got for you, because we we've had you for an hour here, and I know you were waiting for us to to get mm-hmm. over some technical difficulties, but. Mm-hmm. Um, what what do you have planned near future and future? Like, is there anything that's on the burner right now that you guys are going to be working on, or you haven't really? Are you just taking oh. a break? Or well, we're sort of you know, like I said, adding a few features, looking to port our our current game elsewhere. Um, we have had some ideas brewing for a while. We might do a strategy esque RPG with um, that involves a, a zombie apocalypse. And uh, it's just, I know that sounds weird, but uh, it's something that we've been thinking about. We might change the concept, but something different, like a little different than our usual, but still involving turn-based battles, still involving, like, you know, kind of our our style of thing. The only other alternative is we might do something a little bit further different, like um, more of a 
we might do something like an action RPG, kind of like Crystallis, I guess, where there's RPG, a heavier RPG focus, but then also it's you know also an action you know an action RPG. But we'll see. I mean, it, we might it could it could go either way. Ooh, if you did a um, zombie apocalypse uh, traditional uh, turn-based RPG, I'm all in, man. That would be yeah. That'd be something else, man. I if somebody pulled that off, that would be <laughs> that'd be something else, man. I think the scope of that would have to probably be a little bit bigger, but uh, you know, I mean. Yeah. Anyways, if we you guys do that, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I wanted to know like what your favorite magical girl series was because you obviously are into anime and stuff like that so oh okay uh I'm trying to remember because i i'm wondering what count what even counts because like i was actually a lot into and a lot more into the um what is the word for it like stuff like power rangers but anime mm-hmm. there's a term for it Tokusatsu. But, yeah yeah so um especially as a kid and then things that used to come on in the morning back then, like Dragon Ball Z, obviously in the Pokemon anime and stuff. Um, so really like, um, stuff. I mean, honestly, for me, it's just like the old <laughs> sailor moon episodes that would come on early on mm. Saturday morning and stuff like that is kind of where I became familiar with it. And I wish I could remember the name of that other one. Mm. I used to watch as a kid. But um, it was really, like, limited to what we were able to see, like, on TV, which mm-hmm. was usually early in the morning <laughs> at weird times and during the summer and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. well, um, Do you have a favorite character of the game? Oh, oh, my favorite character is um, either Miranda. Ooh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Phone's <laughs> fell off. Either Miranda, because she's, like, kind of quirky and silly, or Paulina, because... Like I know that she's probably not everyone's favorite, but I really like how Paulina cares so much about like their their stuff that they have going on at school, like their projects and stuff. She's always fixated on that and how it's so important to her, whereas the other characters are kind of like, yeah, I guess that'll be fun. They're like a lot more blase about it. So I don't know. I just I just think it's really funny in, in seeing how much she cares and how how little she lets like all this crazy stuff going on around in the story affect her like focus on putting on a good play. <laughs> I guess I like Beulah and Rosalind because they kind of remind me of an amalgamation between Ray from Sailor Moon and mm-hmm. Amy and Makoto from Sailor Moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah. People really like Rosalind. She's pretty popular. And uh, when I say popular, I mean just casually I'll ask people like who they liked. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, it seems to be like a good mix that people yeah. seem to like about the characters, which is good. Yeah, yeah. All right, Eric, did you have anything else uh, before we uh, cut Bill loose uh, from our grasp um, here? Other than to yeah. say that you should try out This Way Man This Lies and the boys' other back catalog. And yeah. I don't know if they're on sale or at Steam right now or not, but um, either way, you could get a bundle of them probably for less than $20. <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably. Yeah, and that's, um, yeah. you know, it's good stuff. I mean, And the, the reviews around. for that and Cthulhu, will, you know, Cthulhu Saves Christmas, um, will be up uh, tomorrow, hopefully. Cool. I wanted to do it yesterday, but work was so tiresome that I actually took a nap and then got pizza. <laughs> nice. Uh, anything you want to plug, Bill? Before we uh, obviously uh, get out, get out, uh, out of here, uh, maybe maybe something you've been watching on TV or a movie or or something. Oh gosh, I can't think of it right now. I've been so um, my mind's been consumed by all the holiday stuff going on. <laughs> I just I would just say check out This Way Madness Lies, our new game. And if you need a Christmas holiday themed crazy game, uh, Cthulhu Saves Christmas is also a quick, fun little play. There you go. All right, I want to thank you, Bill, for joining and and dealing with our technical issues at the beginning and spending a good over an hour with us. 
um, discussing mm-hmm. everything. Uh, I think we pretty much covered all bases. Maybe there was a, a few things that you guys uh, wanted to answered, but I'm sure we'll have you back on um, at a future point uh, to discuss uh, your latest project. So, sure. um, you know, we'd love to have you back on and maybe Robert, maybe both together and, um, yeah. you know, we can discuss even more, but it's been, it's been a ton of fun, Bill. And I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with lowly, you know, indie uh, podcasters about, about your, uh, <laughs> your awesome games there. So really yeah. appreciate the time for sure. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you so much. That's Bill from Z-Boyd Games. Make sure you check out uh, This Way Madness Lies and everything else in their catalog. And, you know, uh, support support uh, guys like this because there there's not a lot of them that, um, you know, do this quality for this little of money, I will say. So, <laughs> so thank you so much, Bill, for joining uh, the RP Grinders today. And hopefully we'll see you soon in the future. Yeah, thanks again. All right, thanks a lot, uh, Bill. Really appreciate it.